Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. I have the honor of inviting my friend Shep Hyken to join us today and talk about everything customer experience, customer service, and more important, just being amazing for your customers. He's written six books, including Moments of Magic, The Customer Focus, and The Amazement Revolution. He's a customer service expert and keynote speaker. He works with companies who want to build loyal relationships with their customers and employees. His focus is on delivering amazing customer experience, customer engagement, and managing the customer experience and creating loyalty. He's a Hall of Fame speaker with the National Speakers Association and a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And we just have an awesome opportunity to hear what he has to say about moments of truth and impacts, impact points in business. Well, Shep, I like to begin with something I call bullish and bearish. It's nothing too painful, but I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and then look to hear what you think, whether you agree on the bullish side or whether you disagree on the bearish side. And just so you know, there's sometimes the gray zone. So I'll give you a little bit of latitude in your response. You ready? Okay. All right. The first one is companies shifting to become high tech innovators. So all companies becoming tech companies. Bullish or bearish? Bullish. Excellent. Anything you want to say behind that? Oh, I didn't know I'd get to comment too. Comment like for just a quick comment. Every company needs to be doing what they need to do to stay cutting edge. And typically that means innovation and a little bit of technology. Excellent. All right. The second one, this one's a little near and dear to my heart. Sales reps will be replaced by AI bots or automation. Bullish or bearish? Bearish. Oh, thank goodness. Video did not kill the radio star. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yes. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's from a song. <laughs> the Boogles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're showing our age. All right, next, uh, bullish or bearish, customer experience as a competitive differentiator. Bearish, huge. You think it's not going to happen or it's going to happen? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, excuse me, bullish. I got excited about a bear. No, it's. I'm so bullish on that. Yeah, I was going to say, so, that, Chef, yeah, hello? I'm going, whoa, tap, tap, whoa. Tap, tap, tap. Are you still there, yeah. Chef? Who got in your body? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I am totally on the bull on that one. We're going to ride that one all the way to the end because that is the competitive differentiator between one company to the next. Well, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, what I get when I say things like that is, well, what does that mean? What is what is that, Tiffany? You know, I, I agree with you sort of philosophically, but but what does that mean that customer experience is now going to be used as a competitive differentiator? I'd love to hear what you'd say back to that question, Shep. So here, at the end of the day, here's what you've got. Okay, you've got a company that competes with another company. They sell pretty much the same product, uh, something close to it. They probably give a, um, you know, a, a pretty decent competitive price. Well, the only thing that's going to separate one company from the next is the experience that that customer has. And if you do a survey or look at the surveys that are out there that uh, of almost any type of company, about 80 plus percent of executives are saying, yeah, that's what we're gonna put a lot of our money and focus on is the customer experience. Unfortunately, it's it's not happening. Uh, like 80% of the companies aren't actually doing it, even though 80% of the executives say they should. 
So I think what's going to happen is one day there are going to be a bunch of companies that are going to play catch up to the competitors that figure it out. And what do you think, because I agree with you, and uh, I think that pivot to being more customer experience oriented, right, or customer centric or whatever term that you'd like to use, comes with it lots of change. And so if someone is going to say, look, this is how we're going to start to compete in the future, what kinds of things needs to shift internally within a company? So it, it has to start at the top with uh, the culture has to be defined by the leadership of the company. They need to come up with a really simplistic vision of what customer service and customer experience should be. They need to recognize that it's everybody's job. Uh, so let's let's think about it this way. The best customer focused, and you can use the word customer centric. I use the word customer focused, but customer focused companies, it's not just the front line that's focused on the customer. It's the entire company. The guy in the warehouse who pulls things off a shelf and puts them in a box knows what role he plays in the customer's experience. The, the, the man or the woman in the accounting department recognizes what role they play in a touch point or maybe an impact point that the customer is going to have. If the invoice is wrong or if there's a problem with the invoice, they, they know what their role is. You know, the customer service department, well, that's just a small piece of it. As a matter of fact, I think a great way of saying it is customer service department is where you go when things go wrong or when you have a question. But the rest of the company needs to also be focused on customer service, customer experience. There's lots of, of sort of terms tossing around, right? Customer service ship, shifting to customer success, customer experience, and... Mm -hmm. You know, I try to stay out of the nomenclature battle of what is it really called. Um, but with customer service now being responsible for more than just when a customer has a problem, right? They could be the group that is actually focusing more on that customer success. So they could be doing outbound calls in a very proactive and predictive manner, right? We see that you have been doing these three things and other customers like you who are doing these three things should or may want to do this other thing. So we wanted to let you know that you could do that. Like, you know, look, you've got, you know, these three packages from us. And if you buy this fourth package, it actually gets you more for less. Why don't you upgrade to this fourth, you know, fourth package to give it to you? And so that kind of outbound, it's much more proactive and customer right. service. I like that. Yeah, and yeah. customer service playing the role almost like sales at this point. You know, there's a stat out of Gartner now that says that some 25% of quotes coming out of CRM systems are actually going to come from the customer service group. I mean, that's a big shift. Right. And 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 you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. But here, here's the bottom line. When do you want the customer to find out that he or she could have gotten a better price? You know, do you want to find out long after they should have gotten it? Like I've talked to the customer service rep. I talked to somebody in sales. Why didn't they ever tell me this? Or do you want to be proactive? Because if the, the, the first happens where they find out about it on their own, guess what they're going to do? They're going to start shopping you with competitors to see if you really are, in fact, the good company with the right price. And I, I hate focusing so much on price because price can be a competitive differentiator if you're playing the word the game uh, in the world of price. But if you want to get away from price, all you need to do is be somewhat competitive and offer value in other ways. And if one of the ways is I'm going to create trust with you because I'm looking at your account and I see how I can save you some money if you uh, switch to this plan and you might get better service on top of it. You know, and when I say better service, uh, I'm thinking recently I had this experience with my 
cell phone provider where they were looking at my plan and they said, you're going to get a better uh, level of, of uh, the actual what they sell service, not the customer service. And I'm going to get more minutes and I'm not going to, it's going to be less expensive and blah, blah, blah. I'm going, wow, I'm really glad I called today. And it was, and that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be with everything. So here's the thing, knowledgeable reps in the world of customer service. Now we're talking about the customer service department. It's not just knowledge of the product that they sell or the services they provide. It's also knowledge of the customer. So they get a good view of when the customers called before, what programs are on, what they've been buying, and, and can they make suggestions? I just wrote an article that's not going to come out for a couple of weeks, but uh, this article focuses on personalization. And that means you look at the customer, you treat the customer as if they're an individual. Hey, I noticed you bought this in the past. Can I make a suggestion to you? And there's a pretty big percentage, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's about 41%. Uh, will actually be willing to take the upsell as long as you're upselling for the right reasons. Uh, and, and it's all about the customer's reasons, not about the company's reasons, giving them that better experience. So personalization in the form of making those types of suggestions are very much uh, respected and appreciated by the customer. Yeah, so in the example you just gave, it, it's but it's a little bit reactive, right? You called in potentially for something else, and then they said, oh, and by the way, yep. right, you can get a better plan. And I think we have been stuck in this reactive mode. We've gotten better at being reactive meeting. I know more about you when you call in, right, because of the advancements of CRM systems, et cetera, like Salesforce and others. But at the end of the day, you know, the goal would be that it's proactively, they say, you know what, we're going to grab the group of customers that look like this, you know, that look like Shep, right? They have this offer, they're using this many minutes, they're doing whatever it might be. And we're anticipating that it would be a better deal for them in a very proactive way. And I think that's that value that steps over what we haven't seen yet, where it's better when you call in, you get a better experience, but wouldn't it be great if it was a proactive reach out uh, and that was very personalized, knowing that, you know what, we looked at your account for the last six months, you've been using X amount of minutes and X, you know, Y amount of this and Z amount of that. And we have a new plan out that we think would be better for you. And you're like, wow. So it isn't really about the price, right? It was about, they were looking at me, they cared about me. I wasn't just a number versus the promotions are, are really aggressive and, and you know, much more value-based when it's a net new customer and they almost forget the existing base of customers and to treat them well too. Do you know, a great example of this is Google. Uh, they reached out to me directly and I thought for sure this was a sales pitch. They wanted to talk to me about my Google AdWords account because I spend a small amount of money promoting something very specific. Not a lot. So I, I, I asked right up front, is this a sales pitch? They said, absolutely not. 100% we're here to help you. Now, the guy was real honest with me. He says, and if we help you and you get the results that we hope that you'll get, you're going to want to spend more money with us anyway. So we don't have to sell you. And I go, okay, go ahead. And they spent two hours with me tweaking my account. And guess what? I spend about 50% more every month than I was spending in the past because I was willing to up my, uh, my monthly spend. All because of the success they created with a proactive uh, it was an email and eventually a call. Exactly. And that's the example, right? I think that's where that's to be is much more where I think customer experience and using it as a differentiator goes. 
Um, I've had a guest on Peter Fader who wrote the book Customer Centricity, and we have a lot of conversations mm -hmm. uh, over the years about just kind of lifetime value of customers and the fact that you can't treat every customer with a high touch, you know, human reach out. It's just uh, not cost effective. And so that's where the power of the technology comes to really give um, companies the ability to mine their customers and look for patterns and then be much more proactive about their, their outreach to them. Yeah, and, and you earlier talked about technology and, and the role it plays. Uh, if you look at artificial intelligence, uh, right now you're, you're experiencing chatbots, and they're actually doing a really good job. But the chatbots are still only available and good for a very narrowly focused use for most companies. Uh, you, you know, I want to change my mailing address. I want to change the way I'm being billed. I want to give you a new credit card. Those are the types of functions that the basic chatbots take care of. Some companies, by the way, are able to take it to the next level. They have a much larger budget for the innovation, and they can do that. But the average company, that's where we are right now. But guess what that means? That means that the human-to-human -human touch uh, can happen as a result of higher-level issues that need to be dealt with, and you know that a chatbot can't take care of. But if you're a, a company that's focused on the customer, you've got to look at different solutions, chatbots. Using AI is just one. How about a good self-service solution? Let's talk about Salesforce. I just wrote a short uh, chapter in a book that I have coming out next year about how Salesforce's self-service is unbelievable on YouTube. There's like over a thousand videos that are well-produced videos on answering just about any question that you might have on how to use Salesforce. And here's the cool part about it is number one, it answers the question. Number two, if I'm not yet a Salesforce customer, I at least get to experience what some of that support looks like. So it's marketing on top of it all. Well, thanks for the plug. <laughs> I had to. <laughs> that was awesome. But but I think that goes back to what you said just a few minutes ago, where culturally it has to start at the top. And so, you know, I happen to work for a company that the CEO is maniacally focused on the customer, right? It's all about customer mm -hmm. success. It's sort of what we do. And, and so that just permeates all portions of the organization. Of course, there's those YouTubes. And of course, there, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a, yes, what, what, what else would you expect considering sort of how we position? But, um, you know, not, not everybody is in that situation. And so, you know, what, when we think about if you're in an existing company today and you're listening to this podcast and you go, oh, you know, we're, we're nowhere close to doing those kinds of things, that kind of uh, proactive and predictive and outreach, um, but we, I want to start to make a pivot, right? I want to lean into the changes that I think that we could make. What are the things you would recommend somebody who might be listening as an individual contributor? And it's like, look, I, I'm not at the top. I can't set the tone for the company, but I can do something tomorrow different than I'm doing today. I call that person the force within. Uh, they're within the larger organization. And I give you an example. Uh, I don't know when the last time you flow, uh, flew on an airline. Mine was like just a few days ago. I'm sure yours was probably about the same. And you'll notice some flights you have, the flight attendants are amazing. And then other flights, eh, not so good. Same thing with gate agents and anybody else you might encounter. It's amazing to me the difference uh, when somebody walks on uh, walks into work or walks onto the, the floor, if you will, or gets in front of a customer, they have a decision to make. And that decision is, am I going to be amazing today or am I just going to be like every, you know, like just average? And 
it's truly a decision that you have to make. And it amazes me if a, if a person on the inside of an organization feels that the rest of the company is not performing at the level that they should, but they want to, guess what happens? Two things. Number one, they will hopefully continue to, to play at that level. But number two, they're going to start looking for somebody else to work with. That means you're going to lose good people. So uh, I go back to something we talked about earlier. Uh, the leadership has to define what the customer service vision is going to be, the customer experience vision, and they need to live it. Uh, they need to communicate it. They need to train everybody to it. They need to act as the role models. They need to keep people in alignment. And when it's working really well, they need to celebrate it. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And so now I'm a manager listening and I have some portion of my team gets it, right? And is doing those little uh, you know, self-adjustments, if you will, because they know at the end that that's what's best for the customer. And now you're the manager and you have a portion of your team who is, you know, kind of all in. And then you've got another portion of your team that sort of goes, ah, it's just that soft stuff. Like, I'm just going to do what I do and, uh, you know, move on uh, on my call or on my day. As a manager, what could they do differently? So as a manager, you've got to get everybody in alignment. And I use that word again. I just used it a moment ago. One of the ways to do it is to force people to become what I call service aware. Now, this, what I'm about to share, is the number one culture changing tool that we use for our clients. And by the way, I give it away. It, I, I, it's on my website. If you look at it far, you know, and, and uh, anyway, you can find it. I don't, I'm not trying to sell anything, but it's so easy. You give everybody an index card and you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a short little meeting in a week. And by next week, I just want you to write down one, uh, one example of when you created a great experience for either an internal customer or an external customer. It doesn't matter, depending on what their job is. That's it. Just two or three sentences. Don't write an entire novel. And just uh, we're going to share some of these examples next week. Now, this is what happens. Meeting is next week at 10 o'clock in the morning. Sometime about five or six minutes to 10 o'clock, the people that truly aren't on board are going to start doing the exercise. <laughs> And they're going to be like, they're going to spend a lot of brain power and it causes a little bit of pain because they stress out over like, oh, let me think, what did I do in the last week that was, uh, that's worthy of going on this card? Because I might get called on and, you know, they'll come up with something and the first week or two that may happen. But then all of a sudden they realize uh, sometime uh, earlier in the week, oh, this is a great example. I'm going to write it down. Now I don't have to worry about it until the meeting. Well, a couple of things have happened. Number one, uh, we've made them aware of when they're creating or of the examples of when they create service and, or at least what they do. And then we're also making the, them aware of actually when it's happening in the moment. So I call that service awareness. Now, this is just a start. But when everybody starts to hear different stories from their peers, they start to understand what good customer service looks like. And a good manager is going to share feedback, pat people on the back for doing a great job, make some suggestions on how we can maybe even make it better. And this is a great exercise that any company of any size can do. You just do it departmentally or if you're a small business, you can do it for your entire business at once. And we've had companies actually take these cards and they fill up an entire wall in their cafeteria with the examples of these moments of magic. At the end of the year, they take the exa one example from everybody and they create a book and they actually go to Amazon and actually print the book on their CreateSpace program and uh, don't necessarily sell the book, but now everybody at the end of the year has a book with great customer service examples and best practices. That's great. I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of my previous guests was uh, Nancy Duarte, who, you know, sort of, in my opinion, oh, yeah. nobody's better on storytelling, right? And creating 
movements via story. And I think that that's the, a great way and a great example, Shep, on these kind of moments of magic on ways in which teams can uh, inspire each other, right? Because I think starting at the top and the top-down mandate only goes so far, right? If you don't have a bottom-up groundswell of like everybody aligning because they get it, like in their core, they get it. They're not doing it just because they have to do it. I think mm -hmm. you really start to see change. Would you agree? Yeah. That's all about hiring right. Yes, I do agree. And that's hiring the right people. And, uh, you know, you can hire somebody with the with the right attitude and the right, right mentality, but you still have to do training. Uh, you, you, and I, the example I like to use is, you know, I... I I like to hire people that have hotel or restaurant or retail frontline experience because they've dealt with people. So if I hired somebody from a hotel and I own a restaurant, they may have the greatest hospitality mentality and know how to talk to people, but they don't know how to properly serve. They don't know which side to pick up the dish or drop down the dish or what side the fork and the knife go on. So I've got to train them on the technical aspects of customer service, but they've got to come to me with the right mental aspects or I, I, they've got to be trainable to those mental aspects. And I think that that goes back to, uh, as you just said, you know, hiring the right people, but it's also hiring the right people that matches your culture, which means companies have to understand what their culture is to match the culture, right? Right. So there's two pieces. Everybody knows that old saying, hire for attitude, train for skill. And that's fine. Attitude's really important but so is personality. And the personality I'm referring to is one that meshes up with the personality of the company. So you can have somebody with the greatest attitude, but they've got to have uh, some of that same interest, personality, and, and they've got to fit in uh, right with the, with the culture of the company. If you don't fit in with the culture, you're going to be an outsider in a short period of time. Well, I'm going to pivot a little bit because I think that that is a great place to start, right? Sort of culture, teams, individual contributors, managers, uh, and, and kind of starting from the top. But there's been, you know, one of the probably most response I've gotten from a um, article I wrote was around who owns customer experience. Uh, it, it sort of has followed me for about six months now and, and people mm -hmm. bring it up. Uh, and I'd love to hear your take on it about who quote unquote owns customer experience. And, and I'll start, we'll start there. Well, you know, I can take that question a number of different ways, but I believe that there, if you do this right, everybody has a piece of it. They have a little piece of ownership. So uh, the concept of the journey map has been around for a while. Uh, I'll go back to a book that I read back in the 1980s. Now we'll start to show our age. And actually an article I read in the early 1980s by this gentleman named Jan Carlson wrote a book called Moments of Truth sometime around 86 or 87. Uh, anyway, in the book, he defined, you know, a moment of truth is any time a customer comes into contact with any aspect of a business. Well, he, for lack of a better term, journey map, without even knowing that's what we're going to call it today, you know, the typical experience that a customer on an airline has, he ran Scandinavian Airlines. So the passenger has to pick up the phone and make a reservation. This was before the internet was invented by Al Gore. The, uh, Passenger has to go and pick up or check their bags at the curb. They go inside to the ticket counter. Uh, they, you know, walk to the gate and they encounter a flight attendant who smiles at them. And anyway, there's this chain of events that happens. Now, that's all at the very top. That's the, the true experience that the customer's having. Some of it's through service, some of it's through the system, but it's the touch points that the customer has. Well, behind the scenes, there's a lot of impact points, things that impact 
those touch points. And I'll give you an example. That passenger that checks his or her bag at the curb sees the bag go down a conveyor belt. Now, once it goes down underneath the ground, there's probably, I don't know, there's somebody that takes it off the conveyor belt, scans it, puts it on a, a, a cart. The cart then makes its way to another cart where it's transferred out to the airplane where somebody puts it. There's like 10 people, maybe more, that touch this bag. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. And if you start to journey map, not just the touch points, but all of the little impact points that happen behind the scenes, every single department and every single person in the company will find themselves or find a place where they fit in to that customer's experience. So I believe, number one, the experience is owned in part by everyone. However, if you're talking about leadership, managing the customer experience, who owns it? Uh, I'll say, you know, is it the CXO? Is it the CMO? Is it the, you know, uh, VP of marketing or C, you know, chief marketing officer? And I think that uh, today you're starting to see more and more companies have that chief experience officer. And the chief experience officer gets to play with everybody on the team. Yeah, and I agree. I think I think the answer is everybody. Sort of my short answer to that question. I think everybody owns it. Uh, the challenge with that then is who's responsible from a management perspective, right? Because someone has to someone has to make the decisions. I agree. Everyone plays a role, right? It goes on the conveyor belt. The guy at the bag and someone loads it on the plane, like. You know, at, at, but then the customer service agent who receives the customer whose bag is lost, right, doesn't get to go yell at the 25 people that have touched it. It's just the person right there at the counter, right, that kind of gets the brunt of it. Uh, right. right. And so if everybody owns it, how do companies then say, yes, everyone owns it, but this is the one person who is going to own that metric, you know, the net promoter score or is responsible for sort of setting the strategy of the decisions we make around customer experience or around customer service. So a couple of points. Number one, uh, when a customer is talking to somebody, that person now owns it, whether it was their fault, their responsibility or not, they get to play ownership role here. And, and, that's it. I mean, it's like, hey, I'm really glad you came to me. Thank you for telling me about this. I would be upset if that happened to me as well. Uh, I want to apologize if this happened. I mean, it's not their fault, but they get to apologize. So let's figure out what we need to need to do to get your luggage or whatever the problem is. And then they go to work at, at coming up with a solution and they do it with the attitude of ownership. And also they do it with a sense of urgency because customers like that. So whoever the problem, if it lands in somebody's lap, they get ownership. However, I think the question you're asking is much bigger than that. And that is who owns the problem in getting it fixed so it doesn't happen again. And this is really important. Leadership needs to listen to people on the front line. They need to really understand what's happening. Uh, they can go undercover, so to speak, like an undercover boss and, and play the role of a customer. But even better is spend time on the front line. You know, back in the 1980s, when I wrote my first book, Moments of Magic, I talked about Anheuser-Busch, how their executives once a quarter went downstairs, jumped in a beer truck and drove around with the salesperson and made calls with a beer salesperson and dropped off beer. That's how they knew what was going on out there in the real world. And you don't get that from sitting in an office somewhere uh, on a nice cushy carpet with your feet up on the desk. So uh, I, I think it's really important for leadership to take charge of it. Now, uh, I'll close with this one line that I think is important. I once interviewed a number of executives. I said, what's the most important job you do day in and day out? And the CEO of 
but nice size company said, my job is to defend the culture. And so what does that mean? He says, if somebody is out of alignment, if somebody isn't doing what they're supposed to do or a department or a region, my job is to make sure that gets fixed because you know what? One person can destroy everything. The brand is only as strong as its weakest employee or its weakest product or its weakest group of employees, region, department, whatever. So keep that in mind. And uh, that CEO says, I own it. It's my fault. By the way, that's kind of a military attitude. Uh, if, if something's wrong on the ship, you know, the guy in charge of the ship is really ultimately the one who's responsible. Well, well said, Shep. I think that was a great synopsis on on how people can approach that. You know, you spend so much time around customer service, customer experience, these moments of truth, the moments of magic, impact points, all that stuff. If you were going to sort of impart what's next to the listeners in these categories, what, what would it be you would say to them as sort of, you know, setting them free with their day before they get off this podcast to inspire them to, <laughs> to maybe do something a little different? Wow. So uh, I've got a, a book that I'm working on right now, which I think is, I think, a, a really important topic that many companies are just discovering. And when they do, they'll realize this could be the competitive differentiator that they've been looking for. Uh, and I've got quite a few examples of companies that are currently doing it. And that is the concept of being convenient, uh, being easier to do business with, creating uh, not just what I would call a frictionless experience, but I'm talking about, uh, well, think about it. They call a convenience store a convenience store for a very good reason. It's convenient. There's a bunch of them on the way home. They're on my side of the street, so I don't have to cross the, the traffic. I mean, that's why some of these companies are successful. Uber uh, took on an entire industry. And whether you agree or not with their management philosophy, which is one of the reasons they're going to struggle, it's not because they've fallen out of favor for any other reason, but they became a more convenient solution to, to transportation, you know, cabs. So they disrupted an entire industry. My automotive dealer uh, stole me away from somebody I'd done business with for 25 years because they became more convenient when they said, don't worry how far away we are. We'll bring a car to you every time you need service. You'll never have to come in here until it's time to buy another car. I go, really? Well, that level of convenience earned my, my uh, business and now it earns my loyalty. Well, that's great. Well, Shep, it has been an absolute pleasure sitting down and having a cup of coffee with you today and letting everybody listen in. Uh, I couldn't have asked for, you know, anybody better to kind of give some thoughts around customer experience and customer service. I so appreciate your time and spending it with us today on the What's Next podcast. Well, it is my pleasure and I'm excited to see what's next on your podcast. So I can't wait to come back and listen to another episode. That was awesome. I so love talking to people who completely get the concept of customer centricity and customer experience. Nobody better than Shep. He was awesome at explaining this culture as a changing tool and easy things that you can do as an individual contributor or as a manager, even something as simple as creating an index card that you share with each other each week. Having service awareness in these moments of magic and taking great stories to motivate teams to do better and to be better for customers. It's all about convenience. It's all about hiring for attitude, training for skills, but not forgetting about the personality of people on your teams. What a great conversation with Shep. I hope you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to leave a review, share with your friends, subscribe. I appreciate the support.